0: Hey, before you guys take a seat, can you just one more time, praise God for the goodness in your life that he's shown you this week. Thank you. All right, you guys can have a seat. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And whether you are uh, watching online on YouTube or you're at one of our campuses right now or you're in this room, we are so glad that you're with us. Glad that you're joining us for uh, this continuation of a series we've been in called Cutting Through the Noise. How we're finding wisdom in a world that is anything but in a world that is full of chaos. And before we jump into the topic today and the message, just want to kind of make a little admission to you. I committed the unpardonable sin this week. I know some of you are really nervous already. Um, And others you are like, man, this is the best church I've ever been to. And we're only halfway through. Uh, But I was with my middle daughter this week, and I accidentally told her the end of a movie before she had seen it. I know, I know, it's terrible, right? This one was titanic, though. And, and I'm like, yeah, just like, you know, how Jack dies at the end. And she's like, what? I haven't seen him. Come on. You know the end. So for all of you watching online, I just ruined it for you if you haven't seen it yet. But here's the thing. Oftentimes when we see the end of something that we should have expected, right? You should have known how this thing ends. Even though sometimes it still just wrecks or changes how we approach the rest of that story. Sometimes that's true for our lives. We're going to look today at a part of Scripture where we're going to see how understanding or getting a peek at the end result of something can change everything about what we do right now at the beginning or in this chapter that we find ourselves. We're going to be looking at the life of Solomon in just a moment. We started this series talking about how to have wisdom, and we began by looking at the fact that Solomon, King Solomon, is the primary writer of all of the Proverbs where this series is based. And in that, we began it in 1 Kings chapter 3 to find out how did this man who the Bible says and lots of cultures have regarded as the wisest person who ever lived, how did he get that way? And we looked and we found that right at the very beginning of Solomon's life, God came to him as a young man and he said, I will give you one request. You can have anything that you want. And you remember what Solomon asked for, right? He said, I want wisdom. And God was like, man, that is so good. I'm going to fill you up with wisdom. There will never be anyone else like you. And as a matter of fact, because you were so wise to ask for that instead of like to be super good looking or really rich or, or beat up all your enemies, because of that, I'm going to give you on top of it health and wealth. And if, this is in 1 Kings 3, if you will obey my commands, I'll give you long life on top of all of it. Well, I want to show you the end of this story to see what we can learn for ourselves right now. We're talking today about temptation. And now for those of you who weren't nervous when I talked about the unforgivable sin, you just got nervous. Here's the thing I want us all understand. We're all in the middle of facing and fighting temptation. You are not alone if you're in this room about it. But I want us to see from scripture today, from some ancient writings and from some spots in our own life right now, how we can overcome and handle the temptation that we all face. First, let me show you how Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, ended. It's in 1 Kings chapter 11. It starts in verse 1 through 4. It says, King Solomon, however, remember, God gave him all the wisdom in the world. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, his first wife. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your heart after their gods. It's always a heart issue. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth. Let me repeat that. 700 wives of royal birth, and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, just like God said, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Skip down to verse 11. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly, here's the consequences, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. I'm going to pause right there. Wisest person who ever lived ends up having the kingdom that God had given to him, the promises that God had made him, he has it all taken away how does he end up like this? 700 wives. How do you end up with 700 wives when God told you to have just one? I'll tell you, one wife at a time. One temptation at a time. One moment of giving into your desire or your appetite or One moment of following wisdom of the world around you and the culture that says this is politically a good thing. I want you to understand that right here. Solomon married all these women and made alliances with other kingdoms, and that would have been seen as a really smart thing to do from culture's perspective. What that allowed you to do was to make a treaty with somebody who might try to overtake you or kill you. He was doing the expedient, the rational, the logical thing but he was using wisdom apart from God. That's how you end up in that place. So how do we not end up in that place where none of us wants to go? Proverbs is all about helping us navigate through life like a sailor, navigating through the storms and the currents of life to end up in the destination that God wants for us. That's what wisdom is for. Wisdom apart from God, cultural wisdom, the world wisdom, wisdom of the moment, that will actually get you in a worse place. Like, it'd be better to be dumb than to follow the culture of the time, the wisdom of the time. Wisdom apart from God leads you to nowhere. So what we're going to do over the next few minutes is we're going to look at how do we overcome the temptation to get off the path, out of the life that God wants for us? How do we overcome the temptation to end up poorly, no matter how well we start? Solomon Remember, he said the whole thing is about this. Wisdom is all about this. First thing, fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, we said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we said that in week 1, what that means is the awe of God. It is being in astonished amazement and reverence of who God is and what he's doing. Everything about wisdom starts right there. I don't care how much you've lived or how many experiences you've had. To be wise begins with acknowledging, and this is the way we said it, God, you are right. It doesn't matter what the topic is. It doesn't matter what the situation feels like. It doesn't matter what you have heard or believe or feel inside your bones right now. The answer is always, God, you're right. That's how we begin to be wise. So we're going to look today at how to overcome the temptation. And I know in this room and online and in every one of our campuses, at this very moment, all of us find ourselves dealing with some sort of temptation. Some of you have been fighting the same battle for a long time. And you're at a place where you're just not sure you can keep going. You don't have enough strength left. You feel weak. You feel hopeless. You're about to give in to the temptation that you know is not what God has for you. In fact, some of you have already decided that this coming week you're going to give in. Others of us are fighting, and maybe we don't—we're not ready to give in just yet. But but we know that that day could come. Others of us in this room—in fact, all of us—in some way, we are living the consequences of temptations we succumbed to before and we're experiencing our version of 700 wives and 300 concubines right now. How do we all move forward from here? How do we find grace for where we failed and strength for the future? We're going to look at it today by uh, analyzing temptation itself, knowing how to spot it, seeing what it's doing to you and me, and then we're going to talk about some real practical ways for us to deal with it, and then I'm going to give us all a chance to put the first step into practice today. You with me? Okay, all right, online, you're with me. Yes, we're good. Okay, here's how we're gonna do it. First, three quick things about temptation that you gotta know. And I didn't even realize how important these things were until this week, I was talking to some teenagers about the message, they happen to live at my house, but you know, that counts too, they're teenagers. And I was trying to say, hey, we're gonna be talking about temptation, but um, tell me a little bit what you understand. And three things that we just have to be reminded of. One, temptation is not from God. God does not tempt you. This is not uh, that God is out to try to trick us or to to get us to jump off course so that he can punish us. Temptation, in fact, God wants to strengthen us in the the middle of temptation. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, listen to this, the eyes of the Lord roam back and forth across the world looking for those that he can show himself strong, those who are loyal to him. God wants to help us in the moment of temptation. It's not from him. Secondly, temptation is not sin. It can lead to sin, depending on how you handle it. But temptation itself is not sin. This is something that's real important, especially if you're uh, in a place where you're feeling yourself constantly bombarded. Like, and many of us ask the question, what's wrong with me? Why am I still tempted in this way? There must be something broken. That is not sin itself. Every single one of us are tempted. Jesus was tempted. We'll we'll learn about in just a little bit. Everyone gets tempted. That is not the sin. And then finally this. If you're tempted, by definition, it means you're trying. Can I give you some hope and confidence right now? If you feel like, and you would say, I'm in the middle of temptation, that means you're trying. It means you recognize there's a right and a wrong, a best and a not so good. So take heart as we enter into this conversation that if you would say, I'm in the middle of tempted, you're on the right path right now. So we're going to look at the anatomy of any temptation. And we're going to do it by looking at a passage. It's actually kind of a poem. It's in Proverbs chapter 7. In this passage, Solomon, the king, is writing to his son, Uh, In particular, and he's going to use this language of a young man who's about to be seduced by an adulteress. So it's a specific kind of temptation, it's a sexual temptation. Uh, And what I want to show you as we read this is how this can apply to everything that you and I are getting tempted by. It's just really detailed and it really helps us understand what's happening. But if you're a woman in here, don't Don't feel like that this is only written to the gods and that you're the problem. Uh, This is for any child, any person to understand how temptation works. All right? So if you're with me, stand up. We're going to read together Proverbs chapter 7. It's kind of long, verse 6 through 27. And then I'm going to make some comments about it. Here's what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says. At the window of my house, I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the inexperienced... I noticed among the youths a young man lacking sense. Crossing the street near her corner, he strolled down the road to her house at twilight, in the evening, in the dark of the night. A woman came to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. She's loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, she lurks at every corner. Temptation lurks. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, "I've made fellowship offerings today. I've fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you to search for you, and I've found you. I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love-making until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of silver with him and will come home at the time of the full moon. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk, and he follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver Like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. Now, sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words from my mouth. Don't let, this is so key, don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her paths, for she's brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol descending to the chambers of death. This is God's word. You can be seated. Solomon is trying to get across to his son and to you and me, just how treacherous, deceptive, seductive, the temptation to get off the path of life and on to the path towards death is. And I want to show you how there's some elements, even though this is about a specific kind of temptation, let me show you some elements that are common to every kind of temptation you have. Because you can be thinking throughout this message about what you're really fighting with. And maybe it's a, it's a sexual thing. Maybe it's a, it's a greed thing. Maybe your temptation is just out of fear to hoard and to hold and to be selfish and to be just about yourself. Maybe it's a, a gossip issue. Maybe it's anger. Whatever it is that you in particular fight, I want you to listen as I look at these elements and and you see if you can pick them up in your own battle. So first, uh, the writer describes this with a lot of sensory details. Did you notice how he engages or she engages all five of the senses, the physical senses of this guy? She says, uh, first, he can hear her voice and, and she speaks, oh, I found you. Actually, the first thing she does is kiss him right? She runs up and he feels her kiss. And then she says, I finally found you. And she describes, oh, she's a religious person. She went, look, everything's okay. You can trust me. I already went to have my offerings done now. I've got this meal left over. She talks about taste. She talks about the smell of her bedroom that's been perfumed so that it's going to be even more succinct. she engages all of his senses to try to make him say yes to the temptation. Now, I don't know what your fight is all about today. But my guess is if you examine it for a moment, you'll find that when you're having the battle in your mind of whether you're going to say yes and go this way or say no and stay on the path towards life, that you play out scenarios where, where you, exa- you imagine how you would feel. You, you might imagine what it would feel like physically. You think about, all of those aspects, and it creates in your mind this, this thing. It's just bigger than, than the moment. Have you ever noticed that? You, you can begin to allow yourself to almost have experienced it before you even get there. Again, apply it to, to whatever you're fighting a temptation on right now. But first, it's sensory. Second, it deals with his ego, with his identity. She comes out, you notice, three times. She says, oh, I found you. I have been looking for you, baby, and I finally found. It. Like she's making him feel important, powerful. See, so much of temptation is about us trying to fulfill things that the Creator, God, should fulfill in us, and we try to fulfill them with the creation. We try to find a, a, a subpar, suboptimal answer. And especially when it comes to making us feel like we need it, we, we desire the importance. Then she says, it's momentary. It's just tonight. One night. No, no big deal. Who's going to be harmed by this? And, and look, no one's going to ever find out. My husband, he's gone for a month. Nobody's going to ever really call you a, a gossip. I mean, you're just telling one story. And besides, they need the information so they can pray for him, right? Right? No, I'm not gossiping. It's not hurting anybody. I'm just I'm just holding tight here. I, I'm just not going to be generous this time. There'll be other opportunities. I know I see the need, and I know that that's what God would have, but, but right now, I'm just out of, I'm not sure how things are going to work out. I'll just hold that. I'll wait. There'll be other moments. Temptation always does the same thing to us. Finally, it leads to a destination that's always worse. The outcome is always worse than the action. Have you ever noticed that? takes you down a path and this the writer describes it as a path towards hell and death that like a dumb ox just walking towards the slaughterhouse here he goes every temptation that we face to get off of the path towards the life God wants for us every one of those roads if you follow it all the way down that's where it ends why would this young guy choose this Why would Solomon choose the wisest person who ever lived? Why would he write these words to his son and to us and then still end up with 700 wives? How is that possible? Here's how. And it's at the basis of every temptation. Temptation is about the desire for what's now overcoming the desire for what's best. We take our eyes off. We let our hearts get dragged away from what is best, the life God wants for us, promises, intends, and designed us for, and we focus it on the now, the in this moment, this is what I need. Temptation desire for what's now, not what's best. Look, it is always an issue of disordered desires. It's not an issue of willpower. We think that this is about how strong can we be. How much can you grit your teeth and white knuckle and you can, you can do this this time. You can stand up against it this time. It's not about your willpower and your strength. Not yours. It's about having the desires of your heart ordered correctly so that you begin to want that which is best for you. And James, the brother of Jesus wrote this uh, a book in the Bible called James. And in James 1, he says, this is always about your own desires. Temptation isn't, isn't for something that you don't already want. In James 1.13, he says, and then the person who's tempted is dragged away by their own desires and enticed, and then they give in. And once they give in to that thing that they already want, it it conceives, and it, it births sin, and then that sin turns into death. See, I'm not tempted by things that I don't already want. Have you ever noticed, you are not tempted, or, oh, let me speak for me. I'm not tempted to, like, overdo it on burpees. You know? Those hideous, God-awful exercise things. I'm not, it doesn't matter how much I am like after the fit life. I am not tempted to overdo it with that. I am not tempted to too quickly make peace with somebody that I've got conflict with. Like, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to say no today. I'll wait. No, I, you're not tempted for something you don't already want to do. The desire to go off the path is already in us. That's a part of the fall. That's, that's what it means for us to be human in this moment. That our desires got all disordered. And then when culture says, look, no, what you're feeling is right. Keep going after that thing. Marry all those women. It's best for your country. It's, it's gonna, the, the wisdom of the moment says, no, no, this is good. We have to be able to hear. and We have to be able to focus our minds on what's best. Not on just what's now. Every year at this time, no matter what is happening in my own commitment to my health, I get tempted with one of the biggest temptations that I ever face in October. Just real vulnerable moment. It happens. I walk into Walmart and right on the end cap is this big, beautiful box of Count Chocula. And it's just $3 for the family size. You know what I'm talking about? And like, it doesn't matter how healthy I'm trying to be this year. They place that right in my view. And I can see that box. Does anybody else love Count Chocula? You know, part of why is like, no, I'm really the only person in here. There's got, yes, there's got to be a person here that loves it. It makes its own chocolate milk when you're done. How can you not love this stuff? I am like after, and, and I, I, I can't say no. I come home with a box. And the only thing Jessica can do is like lock the pantry. It is, I, I can't get over it. But look, that's something that I already want. I know what's best. I know a bowl of that at 10.30 followed by another bowl right after is not good. But in the moment, I get dragged away by my own desire. Now that's a really silly, dumb example. But what is it that, that you're already desiring that you want that you think is the quick way, the shortcut way to feel good? What is it that's just a continual fight for you? It's probably not Count chocolate. It might be Frankenberry. I don't know. Whatever it is, though, see, it's, it feels like it's unique to you, doesn't it? Here's the thing, every temptation, this is why we have to deal with this individually because we're not all tempted in the same way. Like every person, and this is why Proverbs 7 is so powerful, because by being human, we're all broken sexually. We all have that issue at some degree or another. Uh, But we're tempted by a lot of other things too. Like everyone has access to internet pornography, but not everybody is pulled away and tempted at the same level. Not everyone struggles with that as their main problem. So so it's not unique to you, but but it is specific to your own weakness. And this is a really important way that we have to fight temptations. We have to understand our own weakness. I'll get to that more in a moment. Before I do that, here's just what I want you to think about for a second. I want you to put in your mind whatever your temptation is. And saying no to that right now and staying on the path to life ends you up where God wants you to be. Okay, it's the full dynamic life of Christ within you. That, that's what he wants for you. Just for a second, walk out the path of your temptation all the way to the end, all, all the way to the, the last part of your life. See what, what happens if you follow that. If it's, if it's sexual temptation, if it's uh, the, the temptation to cheat right now. Walk past this moment and go all the way down the road. How do you end up? If if the idea is to play it safe and out of fear, to be a hoarder or to be tight fist or whatever right now, play that all the way. What is what is a year of you just isolating and turning self selfish and self-absorbed and inward? What does that look like? What happens five years later? Is that what you want? Is that is that what you want your life to be about? We have to understand that temptation is the the momentary desire to fulfill that, rather than to fulfill the life that we want. So I want to give you, real quick, three ways to help overcome it. Three ways to help overcome this temptation, whatever you're fighting. First is this. We have to grow in the desire for the life that God wants for you, for us, not the life that you think you want in this moment. You gotta grow in the desire. You have to get that picture of where he is taking you and what he desires for you. It's gotta become so vivid that the moment that the end cap cereal does not distract you from where you're going, you've gotta to get to that place. And the way that that happens is by engaging scripture first. This is why it's so important that we're going through Proverbs itself and not just giving you five tips on anything. Like you've gotta get the picture that God wants us to have of reality of what life is really about, of what he desires. you got to get that firmly entrenched in your heart, not just in your head. It's not just about knowing them. Uh, Psalm 119 is this really long psalm, but one of the, the first things it says in there is, Lord, teach me to love your word. Teach me to fall in love, not just to know what you want, but to love what you want. Teach me to love your word. We've, we've got we've to regularly put this scripture in our mind so that it gets into our heart, and then we've got to learn to hate anything that would take us off that path. We've got to learn to hate sin, and we don't yet fully. None of us do. But you've got to hate it because it's a destruction. It's defacing the future, the, the life that God wants for you. Like think about this. If you knew your friend, your roommate, maybe if you've got children, your kid, if you saw the thing that they want most out of life, the job that they want, the life that they want, if, if it's, and it's good for them, and, and you want that for them too because you love them, and then you saw somebody actively working to under, under, uh, like destroy it, to, to undermine them, to sabotage them, wouldn't you be angry? This is why God hates sin. He looks at us undermining ourselves. He looks at the enemy, the tempter, as he's called, trying to get us off the path to destroy the life he wants us to have. And he gets livid about that. See, many of us got off on what Christianity actually is. And, and some of you, maybe you left the church or you got, gave up on that because you thought it was a bunch of arbitrary rules that God just wants you to keep. It's not, it's God wants this life for you what he designed you and me for, and he sees every veer off, every moment where we say yes to the thing that takes us off the path, he sees that as the destruction of what he loves most you. We gotta get to the point where we hate it as much as he does. And we love the life he wants more than the life we think we want at this moment. Secondly, you gotta set up some guardrails. This is the part no one likes to talk about. Because... Since you and I have different weaknesses or different areas of vulnerability with temptation, there are things that you can do that I just can't. Doesn't mean that they're wrong for you. It just means that I know myself. you got to find out your own weaknesses. I know myself where I am going to be tempted to fall. Now, I don't know what that is for you individually at this moment, but I bet you do. I bet you can look at those, this young man right here, like he's walking over towards the prostitute's house in the middle of the night. That's just dumb. If you know that you're tempted with that late at night, you don't go out the house, do like we talked about with my teenage daughters, duct tape a two by four on their back so they can't get out the door. Like you gotta set something in place to keep you some guardrails. And you gotta be honest with that. You got to have the willingness, and I got to have the willingness to go. Like, I get that that's not the same rule for everybody else, but that's what I need. And I'm after that life that God wants. I'm after walking this road to life out in, in such a way. I'm so enamored by it. I'm so in love with it that I'm willing to do what it takes. You got to get your roommate to put a lock on the pantry so you don't keep going for the cereal at night. What are the, the guardrails that you need to put up? This. This is really hard because, look, our choices, you need to hear this, our choices impact the amount of temptation that we face. If you are somebody who would say, man, I'm, like, tempted all the time. Every every day, every time I turn around, I'm always getting tempted. You know what? You're probably making some bad decisions. You can choose to put yourself in position where that's not the case. And we have to own that piece. So, fall in love with the life God wants, set up some guardrails, and then third, this is the most important. In fact, everything else that I've said matters not a bit if this is not true. And this is you've got to embrace the power of the gospel, both for your past failures and for your future fights. It'd be easy to read Proverbs and to just go, great tips, nice tricks, I'll do that. And apart from Jesus, it lands you nowhere. Because guess what? Even if you succeed in beating the temptation, you just get prideful. And if you don't succeed in beating it, you go into despair. The gospel says neither of those things have to be true for you. The invitation of Jesus is to come and find life in me. And look, this is what the cross itself says. Two things. It counters two lies of temptation. The first lie of temptation, Satan always wants to say to you, and you know this, you've heard it before. He wants to go, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that bad. Just once. Just once. And you know what happens you know exactly that you know the second you do it what's the next lie that he whispers you're guilty you can't recover from this no one can know so you've got to get isolated shame is now your new name that lie says now you're irredeemable the gospel message says first it is a big deal Jesus says, I walked that path and lived the perfect life. And at the end of it, I received unjust murder so that I could pay the penalty for all the times that you failed. But guess what? I've paid the penalty for all the times that you failed. You don't have to be kept in bondage to the guilt of the past failure anymore. That's the first way the gospel addresses it. And the second way is that he says, I am with you in all your fights to the future. Let me, come, let me walk with you into this. We can overcome this. He says, I'll give you power. I'll give you my presence. I'll help you fall in love with this life that I want. What about, is that for you right now where you find yourself or the temptation that you're facing? Do you see how what Jesus wants to do is, is not look at you from afar and wag his finger or condemn you. He says, I'm getting in the fight with you. And guess what? I know how to win. I've already overcome that. All of us would rather take the consequences ourselves than to have somebody else have to pay them. The consequences are actions, you know? Like, you don't have to be a parent, but if you are one, um, you know this, you'd, you'd rather your kids not have to pay the consequences. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer before, said, God, just let me, just let me experience it. Don't make them have to go through that. Can you imagine at the end of his life if we could have showed Solomon that end where it says your son is going to have the kingdom ripped out from his hands? Not you, your kid. Our consequences, the consequence of our action have long-lasting effects. But God said the same thing. I would rather take the penalty myself than to have my kids have to pay this. So he did, and now he offers it to me and you. Let me ask you this back to where we started. If if you could ask Solomon, hey, if you could stand in front of you right now and say, what do I do today? With that thing that you're facing, that you've been thinking about for the last 25, 30 minutes as I've been talking, that's got your palms sweaty and you're wondering how you're going to get out of this moment right now. Look, we're all in it with you. You're not alone. If you could ask Solomon, what do I do next? This is what he said, Ecclesiastes 12, last verses that he's written in his entire life wisest person who ever lived ecclesiastes is all about i've tried it all i've had everything wealth and women and power and riches and the good life and i've had all of it at the very end he says verse 13 when all has been heard the conclusion of the matter is this fear god and keep his commands because this is for all humanity at the end of the day he says go right back to where we started say god you're right and then listen to this, for God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. I love the grace. I love the hope in that. It says that at the end, everything that we've done, every time we've moved off the path, that God will bring that to judgment. And the way, if you're in Christ, he will do it is he'll go. Look, look at where they failed. And Jesus says, I took care of that one. Look right here. I took care of that too. Look at this. I owned that. But it also says that every time you say yes to God, every time you fight off the temptation through the power of every time you, you say, God, in this moment, I can't do it on my own, so I'm gonna trust you to do it in me and for me, every time God's gonna also show that and it will be all for his glory. Like nothing gets hidden. So I wanna, I wanna do this. I want to end with a moment for us to kind of maybe for to, this, this could save you. This could keep you from ending up in that place Solomon did. I want to give you the opportunity to look at where you are right now and to choose what your next step is. What will you do next? What do you need to do next? Is there a guardrail that you need to put up? Like when you leave this place today, when you log off today, And you're right there in your living room, or you're in that relationship, or or, or you're dealing with the temptation that tomorrow you could skim a little bit more, nobody will know. Right where you are today, what do you need to do next to say yes to the life that God wants for you and not just the thing you think you want in this moment? We've got a counseling department here at Forest Hill especially for those temptations that just, they just eat at us and stay with us, addiction kind of things, long-term issues that we've had. We'd love to help walk you through that. Maybe, maybe you need a mentor, somebody that can help you say, I've walked that path, let me show you where it ends up. What do you need to do next? And will you do it? Will you take that step to say, God, you are right. And Jesus, walk with me in it. I want to pray for us. So will you just close your eyes so you can focus a moment. and, And I want you to hear as I pray that the truth that where we have failed, the beautiful message of the gospel is that that doesn't have to be final. Even if you've had some of the worst consequences and you're living them or you've already lived them, God says that doesn't have to be the end of the story. but we all get a chance to choose what we do next. So, Father, I pray that in this heavy message, it's not fun to preach, it's not fun to hear, but God, there's life found in this. There is a life that we want more than any, at the deepest place of our hearts, there is a life that you want for us and that we want and that you offer. Jesus, I thank you that the answer does not have to be the lie that the tempter, that the enemy brings to us that says, because we failed, it's over. And now we have to hide in shame, that you brought all of, all of the power of heaven to bear, that you accepted all of the penalty and it's done. Would you apply that grace to us today? God, I pray for those who are in the middle of a fight and it feels like a hurricane and they're not sure if they can take another step, I pray that right now, God, you would, in this moment, empower us to walk out of here and to take the next step that would keep us on the path to life. God, it takes courage. You know it. You know we're broken and frail. You know that we're weak. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be present. You do it in us and for us. And God, I pray that you would give every single one of us in this room watching right now, a part of this in other rooms, that you'd give every single one of us, God, a desire, a hunger to love your word and to love the future that you see for us, the life that you want. Have it push out all the things, the momentary temptations that we have. Let us see them for what they are. We trust you, Jesus trust you help me where I don't pray this in your name and for your sake amen